with you. Uh, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're picking it up here tonight. We're in, we're in Philippians 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, you should see one there on, on one of the chairs in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that one. It's our tradition here to stand for the reading of, of the Scripture passage in worship. We, we stand because we're all assuming the same posture under the Word of God. So would you stand with me now as we look to God and His Word? It's Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start there in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world." holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be here in this place, that we can be here together as your people but I pray that you would speak through your word to us this evening, that we, might, that we might receive it, that we might actually hear it, that we might take it in and process it and, and grow from it. Lord, I pray that you would do that. Don't, don't, don't let us be distracted by the things of the world. Don't let us be distracted by our own, the thoughts and imaginations of our hearts. Lord, help us to just be present here with you for a few minutes. Lord, we thank you for the voices of these sweet children. Lord, they are not a distraction. They are not... Uh, they are not a nuisance. They are a blessing to us, and we are thankful for them. So, Lord, put the mamas at ease. Help them to know we are okay with that sweet sound. Uh, be with us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Sorry. Over the last few weeks during the uh, Advent season, we've been looking at this theme of light. I mean, it's this sort of central theme uh, of light that runs really from cover to cover of the Bible. We've seen it from the beginning as something spoken. That's, that's the first way we saw it in Genesis 1 is that we saw light as something spoken where God said, let there be light. If you can remember that scene, there was darkness there. That was, that's what the Bible says, that before God spoke, that there was darkness. Um, he said the earth was without form and void. It said that darkness was over the face of the deep. And then basically God's not having it, right? He's, I'm not, I'm not about that. So he said, let there be light. And there was light. And ever since that Ever since that, truly since the beginning, it's been light has been this rumor. That's what we've called it. We call it a rumor that's carried on in the darkness, even of fallen creation. It's, it's been this story that's really it's it's like hinted at on every page, sort of whispering God's plans and His promises for His people. And, we, and we've seen God's promise uh, even even more explicitly through. Isaiah, when, when things had gone bad, when sin was running wild in the world, when darkness had closed in, and that type of oppression, right? That's, that's what the other type of darkness, not just lack of illumination, but darkness is oppression, darkness is gloom, that sort of heaviness. 
We saw God make a promise to his people. We saw that the light was something promised, that it, was, that it would be something great. That's, that's what the prophet said. He said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That's what Isaiah said to the people. And remember, when God speaks, this is, this is critical, when God speaks, when God, when God makes promises, he's not, he's not speaking. I think we can get this confused. When God makes a promise, he's not speaking from a motivation of, 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 of hope, He's not speaking from a motivation of optimism or or wishful thinking, but when God speaks a promise, he speaks from a position of certainty. And so in his sovereignty, here's what it happens. God will talk about future realization as present realities. Because what God says will happen is as good as happen. And then Jesus showed up. We saw this a couple weeks ago. Jesus showed up. That's That's what the Gospel of Matthew tells us. And just like any... Any good and loving father would do at the birth of his children. When, when Jesus shows up, when Jesus comes onto the scene, his father makes an announcement. And it's a big announcement. It's a gigantic announcement. He enlists, God actually, the father actually enlists the cosmos as his ambassadors to make this announcement, declaring through a star, through something bright, that the king is here, that the king is is born, and then wise men from the east saw it. And so even creation is in on this rumor. And earlier today, what we were reminded of in the Gospel of John is that the rumor of light is a, is a rumor of something alive. All right, or, or maybe it would be better to say it's a rumor of someone alive. It's that Jesus is the living light. He is the light of the, the, light of the world. And, and the call there, the call there to the people of that day and to us it's not just to see him, it's to what? It's to follow him. The people who walked in darkness have not just seen it, but they're called to follow that light. And to follow is to make a commitment. To make a commitment is to make a commitment to be with Christ. It's a commitment to being with Jesus. And that's our first thought tonight in this passage. If, if we don't, I don't know how you come in here this evening. I know there's people who aren't normally here. And so we're glad to have you here tonight. And, and, and we, and, 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 and I mean, we do this every Sunday morning, but I don't know how you come in here this morning. I don't know how, if you come hurting. I don't know if you come needy. I don't know if you come needing to be brought down or picked up. I don't know how you walked in this place. But the first thought for us tonight in this passage, it's this simple one. It's to be with Jesus. And that's part of what Paul's getting at here in Philippians 2. He says this, he says, As you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul's going, look, he's going, look, I'm I'm going away. That's what Paul, he's like, I don't know if it's today, I don't know if it's tomorrow, but I am going away. Paul is not going to be here forever. I'm not going to last. And so he doesn't say, cling to me as long as you can. He doesn't say squeeze every last drop of doctrine and orthodoxy and spiritual wisdom out of me as you can because I might be gone one day. Doesn't that feel like that's kind of how a lot of the famous people in the, in the church are today? Like, you're really lucky to have me here. You better grab hold as long as you can. Paul doesn't do that. In fact, Paul basically says, I'm going to fade away. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and Trembley's going, don't worry so much about being with me. You, as a child of the living God, be with Christ. Be with Jesus. Be with the author of your salvation. You see, to work out is something intentional. 
You see, when he says work out your own salvation, you don't just accidentally work out. Like that's not what, that, that, if, you, if you do, you're doing it wrong, right? Like if you, if you actually work out, <laughs> you are taking the time, you're, you're probably paying to go somewhere and do it, you're setting it out. We, we, our family, you may not know this, our family has a 13-year-old dachshund, so we have no shame. That's what you need to know about us, all right? We got a 13-year-old miniature dachshund named Roxy, and she really only has, <clears throat> Roxy has one motivation in life. It is the singular focus of her life is to be with Laurie. That's it. <laughs> she tolerates the rest of us at best. All right. She doesn't like some of us, but she, she yeah, that one. But she, she loves that one, man. She loves Laurie. She will hang with me only if I'm the only option, but she's really just waiting. And every time there's a sound outside the house, she like perks up and just, I mean, she's old. She can't really hear anything anymore, but she can, she just has a sense that any motion must and shall be Laurie coming back into the house. And when Laurie and Caden go for a walk, they'll go a couple of miles. And, and Roxy wants to go, right? She wants to go with you. She's made that commitment to being with Laurie. That's all. And I love, I mean, part of me is jealous of like the singular focus of my stupid dog. But anyway, and she goes and she wants to be with her. Laurie's going for a walk, so she's going for a walk. She's going to go run to the door the moment she sees Laurie put on the running shoes. And she's going to wait for that to happen. She's going to wait for her little leash and her little harness. And because she's so small, she's going to take eight little steps for every two steps that you take. That's just how her little legs have to operate. She will work them things until they just about fall off or until you finally give in and carry her the rest of the way. She's reached that point in life as well. That's what genuine, I mean, I know it seems like a little bit ridiculous to use my dog as the example, but I'm telling you, I wish I had the commitment that my dog has to my wife for the Lord. If you can learn something from a wiener, I mean, look, Balaam had a donkey talk to him, so maybe the, maybe the dachshund is modern day donkey, I guess, but it, if I could have that level of focus, that level of commitment, that's what all genuine commitment looks like. It's that type of dedication. And it's a dedication that is impossible to hide. Nobody in my family would argue that that dog's primary motivation in life is to be around mama. We all know it. It's so obvious. It can't be, it can't be avoided. The gospel of Jesus Christ is essentially the good news. Here's the flip side of that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is essentially the good news of his dogged dedication to our good and his glory. He is so singularly focused on that, that he came for us. It's the story of what God has done for us in Jesus. It's what we read just before these verses in Philippians 2, that Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That, that's what we're remembering and celebrating at Christmas, isn't it? I mean, it's just that simple. It's that, it's that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And being found in human form, here's what he says, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Listen, that's essentially the gospel right there. It's an expression of the commitment of God to redeem unto himself, to call a people to himself, a people out of every nation, a people without a tribe and every tongue, as a witness to his grace and mercy. Jesus himself described his ministry saying this. He said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to what? To give his life as a ransom 
for many. This is the heart of the gospel right there. It's Jesus giving his life as a ransom for us. It's that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, so here, and there's the beautiful part of this. That means that he doesn't wait for us to get our act together. It means that Jesus isn't sitting there going, one day he's going to be worthy. One day she's going to be cool enough to be part of Team Jesus. One day he'll get his stuff together enough to not trip over his own two spiritual feet every other minute of every other day, and I'll be happy to have him on my team. That's, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, that's basic religion 101, that you do this and God will accept you. That's basically the faith of everyone outside of Christianity. Christianity is the only faith where God says, no, I'm going to come and dwell among you. I'm going to come and die for you. I'm going to come and give my life for you. So he doesn't wait for us to get it together. He doesn't wait for us to clean up our act. He doesn't come running to us when we're at our best, but comes running to us when we are at our worst. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's nothing less than that. And then Paul says in Romans 8.1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, that's the grace. And that's the union with Christ. That's what it is to be with Jesus. The way the Bible talks about being with Jesus is being in Jesus, being one with him. And the necessary outworking of that, of being with Jesus, is becoming like Jesus. You see see how that's going to happen? Being with Jesus means becoming like Jesus. Paul says this. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Anybody checking that box? No, nah, I mean, maybe you are. That's great. I, I, if you are, I'd love to meet you. I need some people in my life who are not grumbling and disputing. So you could, you could meet yourself right to the top. All right. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You see, that's spiritual formation. That's becoming like Jesus, when I was a kid, my, 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 I mean, this is, this is not a secret. My dad was my hero, all right? He, he was, and the truth, truth is, he pretty much still is. Anyway, but, but when I was a kid, it was bordering on obsessive, like an unhealthy level of like this man, he might be like, he might be masquerading. He might actually be Jesus. Anyway, it was, it was unhealthy. We've come a long way in that. My dad wore glasses. I wanted to wear glasses, right? My, my dad drove a truck. I wanted to drive a truck. That's how it was with him. He was the apex man for me. That, that's what, what he was. He was an ideal to strive after, right? The, the, he was the metric against which I measured, every, by the way, and still do measure every human being that I come across. Sorry. That's the standard. He's sitting right back there. I'm embarrassing him. Sorry. Um, for the dads in the room, by the way, I hope that's both a cheer and a challenge. By cheer, I mean, I hope you hear that as an encouragement to you. And as a challenge, I hope you hear it as a challenge to you, that your kids are watching you, man. That's what dads are for their kids. At least that's what, they, at least that's what we try to be. But I wanted to be like him, so that meant being with him. And one of the things my dad did that was a little unique... Um, was my dad wrote in all capital letters. And I thought that was awesome. I was like, I was like my dad's a bit of a rebel. Um, he, he, he marches to his own beat. You know what? Some, most everybody else writes like this, but he's like, nope, not going to do it. I'm going to use all capital letters. I thought it was awesome. And I remember in seventh grade, the summer before seventh grade, going into middle school, I'm making the change. I'm making the commitment. Um, much to my English teacher, Miss Etheridge's uh, surprise and perhaps disappointment, uh, I adopted that way as my own. And when she asked me why, 
I think, I think she honestly was concerned that I just didn't know how to write. Like, I think she was like, this poor kid, we got to fix this. Um, she asked me why I was writing like that, and I told her, this is the simple answer. I said, because that's how my dad does it. And she never, never gave me any grief about it. And for then, all through high school, college, everything, I wrote everything in all caps, and then I realized when I got into construction that that was why he writes in all caps. Anyway... <laughs> That's what Paul's getting at here, y'all. It's true discipleship. Like, it's true formation. It's becoming like Jesus. And it's only, poss- it's only possible to become like Jesus by being with Jesus. It's, it's meeting with Can we be practical? It's meeting with him and his word, not depending on me to feed you. You're going to be hungry if you're just dependent on me or anybody else who preaches from any pulpit, by the way. If you're just dependent on the people up front to feed you, you're going to be hungry. It's meeting with Jesus in his word. It's seeing him and how he interacts, not just with the poor and the needy, but also with the prideful and the narcissistic, right? It's seeing how he walks. It's seeing how he engages in the world around him. It's knowing the handwriting of our Savior and adopting it as our own. You see, what happens then is, what happens then, and I hate, I hesitate to use this word, but I, I do like alliteration, Becoming like Jesus leads us to behave like Jesus. I know we don't like to talk about behavior, but there's a truth to that. Becoming like Jesus means behaving like Jesus. And we can't get the order wrong. Look at there in verse 17. Paul says, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I love this because what Paul's doing here is he goes, even if they kill me, even if they kill me for my faith, even if they kill me for proclaiming the gospel to you, even if they do to me what they did to my Savior, I'm going to die rejoicing that the Lord saw fit to give me even just a small, just in the smallest of ways, a part in breathing life into your dead heart. That's what he's saying there. Into that I got to play. I'm going to rejoice while they're nailing me to the tree, while they're throwing me in the Colosseum, while they're doing that. I'm going to rejoice that God used me as a part of your salvation. Doesn't that sound like who? That sounds like Jesus. Doesn't that sound like the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God? Doesn't that type of self-sacrifice stand out in a world so caught up in self-improvement, so caught up in self-fulfillment, so caught up in self-advancement, so caught up in self-preservation? Paul's going, this is how you shine as lights in the world. This is how you shine as something sent in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You see, it's not how we, it's not in how we look like the world, but in how we look like Christ that makes the church a beautiful thing. There's been generations of, of church leaders who have tried to, to try and soften it, to make us look a little bit more like the world, to make us palatable. But Jesus says, man, I didn't come to make it palatable. I came actually to bring division. I came to separate uh, sheep from goats. I came to separate uh, fathers from sons. Sorry, I'm about to cough huge. Uh, fathers from sons, moms from mothers. I always thought this one was from wives from mothers-in-law. That one was an interesting one to me. Like, I don't know how much effort that really takes to create division on that. But Jesus was like, I came for that. Uh, that, one, that one always stands out 
No, he, he said in Matthew 5, uh, the way he talked about his disciples and in comparison to the crooked and twisted generation, he says, you are the light of the world. That's what he says about you. If you're in him, that's what he says about you, that you are the light of the world. It's because as we are with him, we're becoming like him. And as we become like him, we begin to respond like him, behave like him. This is who we're called to be. We're called to shine, you and I, as lights in the world, reflecting that light of Christ, reflecting the love of Christ, reflecting the life of Christ, ultimately that the world might know Christ. May we be a people who practice the way of Jesus here together, who actually begin to walk like him. The Bible tells us, uh, or sorry, it begins with, begins with this burst of light in the darkness. Remember that? Let there be light and there was life. It announces the birth of Jesus with a star. It tells of his death with an eclipse. As the light is darkened by death, it burst forth with light on that first Easter Sunday and it ends in a new heaven and a new earth where we're told that night will be no more. There will be no light or lamp or sun for the Lord their God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The story of the Bible, in a nutshell, is the story of life over death. It's the story of joy over sorrow. It's the story of hope over anxiety. It's the story of faith over fear. It's the story of victory over defeat. It's the story of light over darkness. It's the story of those who've been called by Christ, being sent by Christ for the glory of Christ. My prayer for you this this, this Christmas, this this. In the coming year, may our lives be a living witness of that story. May our lives tell that story. And in the end, may Jesus get the glory because he's the author of that story. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the reminder. We thank you for the meaning and the purpose behind what you've done for us. We thank you again. We thank you for the sound of these sweet kids' voices. We thank you for how you've provided Lord, we look to you to continue to do that. Shape us into the likeness of your Son. Send your Spirit on us now that we might walk like Him, that we might practice like Him, we might look like Him, that we might reflect Him. Lord, we pray that you would do that for us. Do that in us. Do that through us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.